I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kathy from the Kindergarten Kiosk Podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect those of others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Young Duong, who is an entrepreneur, investor, an optic engineer, and the author of the book, Shifting Optics, A Life in Perspective. Lots to learn today. Thanks for listening. By the way, don't forget to share and subscribe. Enjoy. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. Now here's Steve with this week's show. Young Duong is an entrepreneur, investor, and optic engineer who's dedicated to making our world a better place. He supports his wife's nonprofit, Perspective Charity, which works to give children the opportunity to become impactful doers, contributors, and leaders, regardless of their economic or social situation. Young wrote his book for his three children, Anastasia, Athena, and Radiant, in the hope that they find comfort, snicker at the infinitely bad jokes... <laughs> which I love, by the way, and, and get a different perspective. As a child, Young Duong fled a third world country, lived in refugee camps, was jailed, and found himself homeless before immigrating to the United States, ultimately growing up in poverty. A strong student and gifted engineer, Young eventually found success as an entrepreneur and investor. In, in telling his full story, Young doesn't dwell on what he lacked in his youth. Instead, he focuses on what he did have, intrinsic motivation a strong will, and the desire to positively impact the world. Perhaps like Young, you also have a desire to make the world a better place. In Shifting Optics, Young shares his stories and honest recollections so that you can take from them perspective, if you wish. Told with a wink and a smile, he offers up his life story to show there is always a light in the darkness, there's always a tomorrow, and there's always a way to move forward and improve the world in our own unique way. Young, great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining me today, and say hi to everyone. Hello, everyone. <laughs> well, it's great to have you on. And I got to tell you, your, your, your bio is right on the money, all right? So we got, got some good stories, stuff that'll make you laugh out loud, and uh, very heartfelt uh, uh, mindfulness that uh, comes through uh, what you, you know, the experiences you had. Thank you. And continue to make, by the way. So, um, young, young, before we dive into your book, Shifting Optics, uh, A Life in Perspective, in the introduction of your book, you say this. Who could bore you to death but won't or will try not to about the ins and outs of the fundamentals of optics and engineering? <laughs> so let's talk about being an optics engineer. What do you do? Could you also explain what controlled environment agriculture is? Uh, sure, sure. So an optics engineer is a guy who sits around a computer all day and, and works VMAX. <laughs> no, no. No, so, so certainly what, what I do a lot is, is really try to figure out the novel ways of applying physics and science to the world, right? So um, I've been involved with um, everything from, uh, from commercial applications to military applications to uh, biotechnology. Actually, way back in 2007, I worked on a project on a, uh, a rapid response respiratory panel, which incidentally would have been perfect for today with COVID-19. Uh, but uh, certainly when I started my company, Lumatex, I sort of had to stop working on this, uh, this device. And uh, to my chagrin, I think it got canceled after I left. 
but uh, moving on, so certainly I've had, I've done a lot in, in the world, uh, but one of the things that I'm really focused on right now is something called Farm2050. So there's a website out there called farm2050.com and it really talks about the population growth as a function of time and when will arable land decrease. So as arable land decrease and population growth uh, increase, there's gonna be a point in time when those two uh, curves cross, meaning that there won't be enough arable land to feed the world or the population at hand. So obviously by the title, you can see that they're predicting 2050. I'm here to say it's not 2050. It's probably further out, but the problem is still very real. How do you really come up with a way to sustain the world as population uh, growth increases and amount of arable land decreases? And obviously everyone, you know, whether despite politics, everything else, there, you know, arable land is decreasing. You know, some will attribute to, uh, to uh, global warming. Um, certainly climate has changed in different regions. And one of the things that people are shifting to is some, something called controlled environment agriculture, which is essentially growing plants under glass or in, in a, a controlled environment. In such a situation, you can actually control, you know, it could be 40 degrees outside, Fahrenheit outside, and you can keep it uh, temperate inside. So you can grow your crops year round, increase yield. Um, so I'm really focused on really trying to improve the technology and innovation that goes into farming and agriculture in order to sustain the world uh, in the future. Um, I worry that uh, there's just not enough emphasis to really look into that. I know there's, you know, people think that vertical farming is the way to go, which is a type of controlled environmental culture. But, uh, and it is, I mean, it's, it's one part of it. But there's, you know, there's a much larger picture that, that uh, we all have to contribute to uh, in order to really sustain the world. It's fascinating because I know you made, you know, when you made those references in your introduction, I was like, this is cool. And I, I was wondering, uh, I could, I could literally talk about this part for a long time too. So, <laughs> um, so I had to cut that a little bit short, but that is, it's, it's fascinating. And it is something that uh, it's good to know that we have people uh, working on this because there are, um, like you said, there's a lot of focus on some other things that uh, this is kind of kind of pushed aside a little bit. You know, I wonder if it kind of got an extra little push. Did you happen to see the movie The Martian based on that yes. book? Yeah, yeah, that was great. <laughs> that was pretty cool when he's growing the potatoes and all that sort of stuff. And and uh, uh, did any of that type of stuff, it, were you uh, working on this stuff then too when that book came but, out? Yeah, so certainly when you grow uh, crops indoor, you use greater than 90% less water. So instead of, you know, because when you water plants uh, in the field, much of it gets, you know, uh, run off. Uh, very little of it's actually used by the plants. You use hydroponic, all of it, well, not all of it, but most of it gets used by the plants. So you only need to put in the water you need. So you can see where that's very beneficial, such as, you know, Middle East places where, where water is even more costly than gasoline. Um, and, you see, and so that sort of thing is, is definitely possible and will enable the future. The real key right now of, uh, of CEA or really uh, any sort of agriculture is really the cost of installing these systems. And one of the great innovations that we have to do is really push the cost down for all of this technology. And if you can do that, then suddenly all that technology, which in the West, right, America is never going to be hungry, right? We have enough land, we have enough nukes. Yeah. Not to be funny about it, but yeah, certainly we have, you know, the defensive ways and, and the land to really support the population. 
when you look at other populous area of the world or dense population of the world, you know, Southeast Asia, you know, Vietnam, where my, my country is, there's almost a hundred million people in a very tightly packed space. You know, Japan, a hundred million people, very small space. Um, very much, you know, they have to import food. So all this technology can enable, uh, if it's cheap enough, enable sort of sustainability through all these uh, countries. Very, very cool. Let's uh, look forward to hearing more about it. And uh, I'll make sure that the website's in the show notes so that people can go there as well. Um, so good stuff. The, uh, also in the introduction, you say something that it pops up from time to time in your, in your book, which is keep everything in perspective. Could you put this in context for me? We, I could try to put it in perspective. <laughs> trying to make a joke here. So thank you. Thank you. That works. <laughs> uh, so, so to me, one, one of the things that's, that's uh, helped me in life is really look at problems in multiple different ways. Um, from an engineering point, I try to make it as fundamental as possible, make it easy to understand. And I always tell you know, my fellow uh, colleagues that I'm not smart enough to really get into all the complexities. Let's try to simplify it as much as possible. So now, you know, the, the going from A to B becomes much easier than trying to go, you know, A, B, C, D, E, circle, you know, all the alphabet and try to get to an answer. Um, but what's helped me is really keeping everything in perspective in life. Meaning that if you're encounter a situation, right, you know, politics these days, you know, just any situation where it becomes pretty difficult to see the other, um, the other side, it's probably good to take a, a step back and, and try to at least imagine what the other side is feeling or the other, see what, uh, you know, just, just step back, look at the problems just slightly differently to see if there's a compromise or a different way of, of approaching it. Um, so too often we get stuck in our own ways and, and we, uh, we uh, don't make that effort. And I'm, I'm, you know, I don't want to be hypocritical because I'm in the same boat. I've been there where I've been as stubborn as anyone uh, <laughs> fighting for something. Um, but uh, you find that uh, sometimes you're stuck. It's probably good to take a step back. You know, I think I, I had a quote of taking a step back to take two steps forward. And that applies to engineering, it applies to life, it applies to business. It pretty much applies uh, universally. Sometimes it's good to slow down, take a deep breath, look at the problem, look at the problem again, and maybe look at the problem even a third time. <laughs> awesome. I love it. Yeah. Very, very cool. Uh, it, you know, um, Young, throughout your book, Shifting Optics, A Life in Perspective, you give the reader glimpses of your world before coming to the U.S., a transition to the U.S., and finally, as you're growing up in the U.S., uh, could you share a little of the world that you left and some of the journey? Uh, so I was very young when I left. So my sister was born before the war ended, um, and I was born after the war ended in Vietnam. Uh, so my recollection of the world in Vietnam is probably not as, as great as my sister, obviously, and obviously my parents. But from what I understood from the stories they told, is that we were, uh, before the war ended, fairly affluent. Um, well, my sister had, you know, lived the life of, uh, I think the book used the word aristocrat. Uh, you know, she, she certainly has uh, nannies and help and maids and, you know, lived in, a, in relatively nice accommodations uh, in Vietnam. But that sort of all ended in uh, when the war ended, uh, certainly rich people were not looked at as the best of people when uh, when communism took over. Um, you can, you know, listen to my parents, and they don't talk about that much. But certainly, uh, uh, there's definitely, uh, you know, they, they don't they don't like to talk about now that I would get a sense that their lives were not 
very good um, and not very uh, livable in a lot of sense. Uh, so after the first boat trip, um, you know, when, you know, went out, saw land, wind shifted, kept blowing back to sea, spent seven days without food, very little water. Um, person died. Um, we landed back in Vietnam. Um, you know, I was spent days in jail uh, or months in jail. Is that what it is? I think months in jail is what we said. Um, Paris went through all this hardship with trying to, you know, raise enough money to get going again. And yet they still chose to leave a second time. So to give any sort of an idea of, you know, what the mental state has to be to having gone through, you know, there's one, one thing to say, there's an unknown, right? The unknown is, hey, you go out, or you don't know what it's really like, you left. But another way to say, hey, you almost died. Literally, figuratively, pretty much in this case, literally almost died. And you, you made a choice, a cognitive choice to do it again. And not only sacrifice your lives, but your lives for kids, family. Um, to me, that speaks volumes of what the conditions must have been like in Vietnam for them to do that a second time. I know there's always stories about rhetoric or immigration and stuff like that, and I don't want to get into the politics of that. But certainly, in, in all cases, I am an illegal immigrant. I left the country illegally. I entered another country illegally. Right? Someone had to give us uh, uh, asylum before we finally, you know, went from refugee camp to refugee camp and made it to the U.S. But, you know, certainly the choice was to leave, but I can't imagine what the choice to stay was like or how bad the choice to stay was like for my parents. For them to have witnessed, seen death, seen what could go wrong and make the same choice again to do it. So right? I congratulate them and to this day, I'm, I'm grateful that they did. But certainly um, Vietnam could not have been a great place if that was, if that was the choice that was made. Gotcha. I appreciate you sharing that. And it's your that was too deep. I'm sorry. Oh no, <laughs> no, no. no, no. A little, little on the uh, the uh, the downside there. That's okay. That's uh, you know, it's 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 part of um your experience and it's your your family uh history and it, you know and it and what's what's fascinating. One of the things that you did is uh, you know, is that you spread a little bit of it out throughout the book with more of it coming to pass towards the end. Whereas in the you know a lot of authors would have just taking you through everything in the beginning. And I like the way you did it because it, uh, it, it gives you a taste of, while this is going on in my world, this is where I came from. And, uh, and the trials and tribulations I went through to get to where I am at this point in the book. So um, I love the way you did that. The, uh, and thank you for sharing. Um, you, know, you know, one of the things that I, I wanna make sure that I talk about is you talk about how your initiative has helped you. Can you go into that? I think, you know, being so, so growing up there, there, you know, there, there's always the pressures of doing well as a, uh, as a, uh, a young Asian kid, right? That's just, you know, Asian families put a lot more emphasis on academics and, and making sure I got the right grade and stuff like that. Uh, I would say my parents were probably not the greatest of parents when it comes to my education, just because they didn't really know that, you know, they never went to a PTA meeting. They, they don't, they don't know what I did. All they cared about was the straight A's I got from, <laughs> from school when they saw the credit with the uh, the report card, um, and and of course uh, you know we we did that, uh, but even then there was a lot of pressure on on uh, on me and my sister to do well, just knowing what we 
had to go through to get to where we, uh, you know, where we were, even though, you know, in the U.S. it wasn't the greatest of times growing up. Um, certainly, uh, there was a lot of sacrifices made just to get us there. So one of the things that, that um, I think that's instilled in me, and, and in some ways, actually, when, when going through high school, was too much pressure, was the pressure to always um, do better, have the initiative to do better, to do something, right? And, uh, you know, um, and, and yeah, so, so certainly we've always instilled in me, I've always had the initiative to, to help, regardless of whether that's, uh, you know, something gets spilled, we clean it. Something gets, you know, if, you know, if the uh, toilet needs cleaning in a startup, guess what you do? You go clean the toilet, right? It's not, uh, you know, it's not one of those things where you pull rank on people. You try, you know, one of the best things, one of the best advice, you know, we're, we're definitely just going on tangent now to young engineers or, or, you know, engineers speaking field. One of the best things you can do is always understand what's, who's above you, but more importantly than that is understand who's below you, right? Make sure you understand the technicians there. Make sure you understand the mechanics there or the uh, machinists there, the people who are helping you and make sure you treat them with just as much, if not more respect in what they do, because those guys really can help you out. And that's just from an initiative standpoint, I learned that pretty early on. That One of the things you should do is, you know, it's great that you make friends with, People, your your managers and your your managers managers, but it's it's nice to to always um, it's almost you know it's 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 not only nice but it's really beneficial to your career to be able to rate, relate and make friends to the people who help you make your work better. Um, so having an issue to do that is is great. And I probably rambled through that, so sorry I, I went to different a couple different directions, but at the end of the day. Uh, just don't uh, don't be complacent. Just always try to do something better. I think that's awesome, and and don't worry. I love that. I love what you're talking about because it, you know, it it is a big part of you know the idea, you know, in hiring people. I like finding people who they 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 see something, they take care of it, you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to be, having to be told to do it, or or they come up with an idea and they say, hey, I got this idea, and uh, and that's cool, you know, and it's like uh, pursue it, you know, and it's. It, you look for that and that's that initiative to, to get things done, to make things better, to, to figure out how to fix something that uh, uh, others don't realize is, is really broken. Yep. broken. Yeah. And uh, that's cool. And I, I love the fact that you bring that up and you talk about it because it, and you actually mentioned, you touched on the next question I want to ask because uh, on page 35, you comment fostering and valuing relationships has played a huge role in my life. So could you go, that next step with that because i heard you mention it just a little bit yeah. in that last comment and it's so, I, I think i think it's uh, yeah it goes back to you can always try to make friends with you know the, the political way would be make friends and, and uh, you know make friends in high places right <laughs> uh, try to improve your but i think in a lot of ways you just be yourself and make friends with everyone um you know there are very few of us that you know political and all that stuff Everyone seems to think that, you know, there's this whole dichotomy. You know, everyone wants the same thing, regardless of your political spectrum uh, or your mindset, by and large, right? Um, so touching people and helping, you know, I, I've helped people throughout my life, whether I get paid or not. You know, I still have friends. Uh, you probably read them in books that, that I just help. Uh, yeah. and, and to me, uh, and they have, and, and reciprocals happen too. They just help me out, right? And... In life, 
there, there's got to be that give and take. Not not everything is for purpose of, of you know monetary growth, or not everything's worth of a positional growth, a political growth, right? I think you have to really take a sense that you know developing good relationship will take you a long way, right? And and obviously I am as bad a friend as anyone. I don't keep up enough with people. I don't uh, no. Uh, you know, people are probably seeing uh, and my book launch email for the first time. I haven't talked to them in years and stuff like that. Um, so <laughs> I don't want to be hypocritical and say, yeah, I, I keep in touch with everyone. But I really do try to, to uh, uh, you know, be a friend whenever someone needs, regardless of if I haven't talked to them in years or whether we've been talking just a few days. Um, to me, it's, 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 very, uh, it's very good to make sure that um, everyone around you uh, is better and it's better because of you or better because of, uh, or they can make you be better. Either which way, I think that's, that's really at the end of the day uh, what relationships and, and friendships are all about. That's, I love that. And it's awesome. And, and, and this is part of that heartfeltness that comes out through your book, by the way, you know, it's, it's one of the things when you get into that, you see where it's um, you're just, you're just being there for people or, or, you know, helping or doing, and it, uh, uh, and it, that relationship building is so, so important in all, so many things that we do. And yeah, you know, yeah, there's always those people that they, you know, they got some reason in their back pocket why they want to try and figure out, uh, you know, how they can be, f- you know, that friendship only lasts so far, but that's the s- smaller amount, I think. You know? Exactly. I think, that, I think that's, that's to me that the, at least I hope, <laughs> that's the minority <laughs> of people, uh, where majority of people are, are there to, to really want to help and to really want to do better. Uh, make the world better around them, make an impact somehow. I think that's good. I love that. And I, I love the, the different ways you bring it up in your book. So good stuff. I, you know, one of the things I want to make sure that it, uh, I s- say now is I'm getting ready to read a section from uh, Young's book that uh, um, maybe just, uh, well, I'm just going to read it and then we'll go from there. All right. So, <laughs> So it was then I started my college experience as the only Asian in my small dude-filled class smack in the middle of Indiana. And when I read that part, I was eating a cookie and I nearly lost the cookie and because it, I could just see this happening where he's a little bit before that uh, Young's making choices and all this sort of stuff, trying to figure out this, which uh, university he's going to go to and uh he chooses it, and I'm sure he's got a lot to share with the, um, the thoughts that went through the choice process and what thoughts he should have had <laughs> along with it. But, uh, you know, c- could you talk a little bit more about this? this? This made me laugh out loud. I was like, oh, my gosh. And, I, and it, it also made me want to read more um, as I thought about and connected with, it, although I'm not you, um, you suddenly started really just connecting with me on things that uh, in my past where I sh- could I have read the next page? Maybe I would have understood it a little bit more. I don't know. Go ahead, uh, Young. Tell us a little, yeah. a little bit more. So, so, uh, so I literally found the application for where I was on the floor. Right? It was a it was a one page application. Instead of you, know, you go to MIT, you know, you try to doctorate, you try to get the application filled. Like you know, UVA, Virginia Tech, and they applied to uh, maybe Stanford, CIT, or something like that. A couple of those. But Rose was a one pager. Which and and for some reason it was like no no application fee. So certainly filled it out great. So uh, then there was a story about MIT not liking me and stuff like that. So you know I had uh, I had I think three or four choices for college. I chose Rhodes mainly because it was out of state. To be honest with you, <laughs> every day I was getting tired of living at uh, at home. You know high school wasn't really all that great. 
I just want to get a win, right? So one of the things is, you know, they sent you the uh, all the information after they accepted you. They gave me, you know, one of the highest scholarship there. So that, that was intriguing. Um, I was almost, uh, I was runner up for the Pocope Award, which is, I think they're not supposed to pronounce that or announce that, but there's, no one knows about this full ride scholarship that's out there. I think I was second up to get it. Um, but the, the, the thing about that is that I saw U.S. News and World Report. It was number three, I think, at the time, going to number one. And I was going, all right, this has all the records. Everything looks good. Uh, I got a bunch of scholarship. Yep, sign up and go. So literally, I never visited the college. You know, put on, stuffed my, uh, my bag, put a duffel bag. I bought a duffel bag because I had nothing. Just shoved my clothes in there. Uh, literally read the instructions on how to get to school. You know, got the plane ticket to Annapolis, got the bus ride, shuttle bus ride to campus, got on campus and going, yeah, looks like a college, you know, like everything else, got to my dorm and going, wow, I haven't seen a girl yet in this college. <laughs> Maybe it's just weird, right? Yeah, you know, college, freshman dorm, you know, it's not co-ed, it's probably small, but there's only 300 some odd kids here uh, in my class. So I went, you know, speed two is where I live, you know, speed, speed hall, second floor. Um, then I started walking around the campus. I'm going, huh, interesting. <laughs> I haven't seen a grown yet. You know, there's administrators, right? And that's where it started hit to me. Hit me. And I asked, uh, you know, I was talking to someone. Yeah, my freshman year, eight consortium women, right? It was, <laughs> it was an all-guys college. So. Nice, nice. <laughs> it was not to the next year that they were accept uh, you know, girls on campus. So I'm going, hmm, definitely should have read the fine print, <laughs> or at least done more research. <laughs> That's it's such an incredible thing because yes, yeah, like you know, I have left out the story about you thinking that MIT had no, <laughs> did not want anything to do with you, and uh, and then so you're looking at the places to go, and you end up miss because you did a lot of research. I mean, kudos to you as a as a former high school administrator. All the research you did is amazing research because lots of kids go, oh, I don't know, you know, and and don't even apply because they can't afford the fee or the pay or it was 15 pages long for the application, and you've you made it work. You found one that had a short application and, uh, and ranked in the top three of the nation. And yeah. Hey, you know, what, what could you yeah. ask for more except for, cause the funny <laughs> thing is, is that as you know, to listeners, as you read uh, Young's book, you'll discover that he, he has some interesting things that go along with dating <laughs> also that, <laughs> that will make you laugh or at least go, ah, yeah, I've been there, you know, <laughs> so not the best side of me by any means. <laughs> <laughs> but good stuff. So, I, that, that, that story about going, yeah. So that had to be interesting the next year when they in, let girls in. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's, there's something called the Rose Gond Complex. Uh, so that, that occurred my, the, the subsequent three years that I was there. So <laughs> yeah, all, pretty much all these guys and very few girls, it, it became, a, you know, it became a, you know, a fight to the death. <laughs> nice. Nice. So, you know, I, it is, it's just funny. I, the uh, one of the questions that I was going to ask you about, and I just got to ask you now since I brought it up. So, do you think you got time to explain about the duct tape and the and the bone? Oh <laughs> my gosh! So uh, we'll go through the, the short versions. Okay. So certainly, I went to. Uh, so this is years later after uh, graduating college, and and, uh, and decided to uh, you know take a uh, a uh, distant uh, learning course with UT, and this is learning is just like a hobby. So you go, and I was mainly trying to get, uh, you know, I took this course to, to, uh, to uh, really just, you know, to hit a girl, to be <laughs> completely blunt, right? Right. So, so, you know, saw the pictures, contacted the, the, uh, 
the uh, gym. Uh, it was a kickboxing course. We went to my first kickboxing course. Going, yep, whatever ratio was at Rose, it's completely the opposite uh, for for kickboxing. Going, all right, I can I can live with this. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so but uh, so Larry and I got got um, you know acquainted. And we 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 certainly developed a very good friendship since then. Uh, but yeah, I started training. You know started once, you know, twice a week. And then literally I was spending six days a week there uh, by, uh, by my second year, my first year actually doing it. But I went up to see some of my friends uh, fight on the first annual Rome Brawl. So this is like an MMA sort of style uh, fight where people pay to get in. And I paid my $50 to get in uh, like every, everyone else. And uh, so, you know, I, I, took, I took someone to the, uh, and this is right down Commerce Street, so right downtown Dallas. Uh, at the Dean Ranch Center. So there's a spaghetti warehouse where they walk into this. So we went there, had a full meal, and being from a, a kid who, who does, you know, I don't like to waste food, having been <laughs> really hungry in my life. So I ate my full meal. Nice. Got to the uh, the uh, center early because I wanted to cheer on my, my friend. And uh, incredibly, Larry comes up and says, hey, you know, the uh, – the, uh, the my weight class, the fighter didn't show up. Only one fighter showed up. Uh, are you do you want to fight? I'm going no, I don't. And of course, I gave all the excuses in the world why. And of course, all my other friends gave excuses why I should do it. Uh, and you know, talked about not having gear and stuff like that. But of course, while my my uh, six foot, you know, much larger guy than me said, oh, I have my gear. And uh, and uh, and certainly it all went downhill from there because. Uh, yeah, so have you ever been to a, uh, a convention center? The bathrooms are not the, uh, the cleanest, we'll put it that way, especially ones that uh, for a fight. Right? The, the fans that go to these fights are not exactly the, uh, the aristocrat or gentlemanly type, we'll put it that way. So there, there I am uh, in, in the room wearing someone else's strap and cup. Uh, and it wasn't a strap. They you know, didn't have a strap because so, it wouldn't fit. So I had to duct tape the cup on. By myself in this gym that's in this bathroom that's not necessarily the cleanest, we'll put it that way. And uh, and with a time limit because they're banging on me, going, "Yo, you gotta go out, you gotta go out, you know, it's time to fight." I, know, I got got everything together, got everything tucked in the right places, uh, and literally I was the first fight of the night too. Didn't have any chance to to <laughs> to really get my nerves up, so that was a good thing. Uh, but yeah, I ended up losing the fight, which is uh, you know, the story I think goes into a lot more detail. But I ended up losing the fight that night. <laughs> well, I, I had a good, good experience for me. Completely. I thought I'd won, to be honest. So, uh, I, I really did. I think I looked at the tape, saw tape afterwards. I, I was, after the bell rung, my hands were up. The other guy was underground. His, his mouthpiece had been spit out, just, you know, slumped over. And I'm sitting there walking with the, uh, the ring girls with their sign, like holding their hand going, yeah, I got this, right? And yeah, <laughs> lost in the decision. But there, there, there's certainly a lot of more embarrassing stuff. <laughs> definitely but that one is that that one's out there because that's one of those things because uh, i'm getting ready to ask this this other question which i'll talk about in just a second but it it's you know i'm not sure i ever thought about getting beat up would be a good uh thing to impress a girl that i want to date but you know 
yeah, in hindsight, you know, <laughs> you know, that's yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, the moment is there. So the you moment know, is there. The, the, it's, the, uh, it, I have a story from it now. <laughs> yes, you do. You have an incredible story, and the duct tape just makes the story because <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh my yeah, gosh. It, yeah, I think being a guy, you understand the difficulties of that. You know, we, obviously, if we had a few drinks, I would go into a lot more details about the, <laughs> what what happened during those moments. But we'll we'll save that for a different day. Right. I, <laughs> I did, you know, that when you get the, when you get his book, when you get shifting optics, you got to make sure when, when you read that chapter that you're, you're not eating a cookie <laughs> or drinking milk because it's going to come out your nose. All right. It's just, <laughs> sorry, I just had to add that one. That was uh, good stuff there. Um, so, so young, I, I have to get you to talk about this. It was a collection of interesting guys and interesting experiences. It worked for me, though, because I have always been the kind of guy who goes with the flow in situations and makes friends with everyone, especially those who are a little outside the norm. Hence why I got you to tell the duct tape story first. <laughs> yeah. So I think I, the, the good news or bad news about me, I guess, is that I've always, um, you, you know, the norm, normal is, is, is all relative, right? So certainly everyone has experiences where, you know, they do the routine, do the routine. Uh, you know, I, I get bored pretty quickly <laughs> with that stuff. So the collection of, of uh, like, I was in a fraternity, but I wasn't, you know, I was unfortunately a ghost pike. Uh, I was in Pi Cap Alpha in my fraternity, and I was unfortunately a ghost pike. I, I feel bad. There, there were a lot of really good guys there. There's, you know, a lot of really good guys in my fraternity. And I just didn't spend enough time with them to really get to know them this much. You know, I spent time with, with the guys who, uh, who were just, a, we'll put it a, a little bit on the social extreme. <laughs> so, uh, so, uh, but, you know, and, and I, one of the things that, that's interesting about me and even my family in my, my uh, regards is that we've always been able to make people around us better. And, and I don't want to sound braggadocious or, or, but people who spend time with us generally over time, I wouldn't say shift towards the normal because we're not normal in the beginning, but certainly, um, uh, certainly, uh, just overall in general, do better. Um, and I think my friends and I, I think that they, they, you know, you know, whatever I rubbed off on them, they probably rubbed off on me, you know, threefold. Right? All the bad habits I developed is it's all because of them. All the drinking I do and all stuff, but that's a different story. Uh, but no, no, I, I, you know, so one of the things that that to me, um, and this goes back to perspective, right? Is that while you can look at things in a very general sort of way. And it's very interesting to start looking at any situation slightly differently. And having a collection of friends that are, that come from a, a very diverse background, that come from, uh, you know, to have very unique ways of thinking about situations, really opened my mind up to different possibilities. And, uh, and these collection of guys, you know, they're, they're really good friends and, and over time, and one of them is a diehard Republican. You know, actually, my best friends and I heard Republican, <laughs> but uh, but certainly we're uh, you know it, it offered very unique uh, views of the world. It allows, especially a guy like me, to really expand my own thought and my own ways of, of seeing the world. Very cool. I mean, and, and you know, and throughout the book, there's stories where you know, in case you make reference to, you know, I'm the guy who did weird things, or I, you know this this comment about being out of the norm and and you talk about the relationships with people and just and, he, and you can see how you know you just, you just kind of you know 
you're living life and uh, I can imagine it comes out of, uh, you know, it's allowing yourself to be who you are and uh, which is awesome. And I think it, it's just really cool. And it tells very well, by the way. So um, very much connect with it. it in, in your book, Shifting Optics, you say there is always a way. Let's talk about that for a minute. So, so uh, I think uh, there was hints of, of, uh, of weird things that happened. You know, obviously, my, when my daughter fell um, uh, off the, the place gate, um, the nurse asking her a question whether she ever thought about harming herself, um, that, that certainly struck a nerve with me. You know, this was, she was 10 at the time. And uh, when I talked to the nurse a little more, I just looked at her weird when she asked me. And she literally said, "Young, I have to ask you to stay, you know, look away, stay outside the curtain, uh, because I want to, to have this private time with your your daughter." And I'm just going, "Interesting." So after you know, she had the dog, and we talked about it. She said, "Yeah." She she turned to me and said, "Yeah, we have to ask uh, kids as young as five. And uh, or even earlier, she said, "Actually, I think her quote was, it's really sad when a five-year-old tells you yes.' I think it's her exact quote, and that just that killed me." Uh, in a lot of ways. I've had to go through certainly some uh, not very good times in my life. Um, and when writing this book, um, two 20-year-old kids of, uh, of friends of mine um, tragically uh, took their own life as well. So I sort of shifted my, uh, my uh, book slightly through the process to really talk about, to hit that uh, a little bit of the mental health side of things. Um, it, uh, you know, certainly when I went through life, I've, I've unfortunately, I've had thoughts myself, right? Just going through what I've, I've done. I've, I've had thoughts of what it'd be like, you know, to, on the other side, on, on what would it be like to, to really, if I wasn't there, right? Um, and, and in a lot of ways, I think that's where that message, there's always a way it comes in, is that sometimes, you know, looking back, it seems trivial on some of these things that you go through, you know, why were you so, uh, you know, you know, I, another part of me that's, that's really good and bad is I, I very much analyze things to ad nauseum. So you can see how that could be really bad in, in situations where you're, you're, you're in this depressed mode. Um, it's really good in engineering, obviously, but in, in depressed mode, you just, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the thoughts uh, over and over again. Um, so I think that that's, that's where this is. There's always a way. There's always, um, and that's where looking from a different perspective comes in. Because a lot of times when you're in that situation, in that mode, in that time, when there doesn't seem to be that light, it just seems like there's nothing, there's no way out of something. Um, it's, it's good to really think about those around you, those who, 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 who you can make an impact on. You know, making an impact doesn't mean you have to save the world somehow. Making an impact is being able to, you know, get a smile from your sibling. Getting a, uh, you know, knowing that you're there and can make uh, your sibling smile. Or in this case, my sister can, can uh, you know, what it'd be like uh, if she had to go through life without me. That's sort of thing. Uh, so I think there, there's a lot of ways to look at uh, a picture. And sometimes that, that, that external sort of understanding is very helpful. I rambled again, so sorry about that. <laughs> all is good. All is good. I understand. And I, and I love it because there is always a way. And I, that sort of 
focus, I think, has uh, served you well. And I, I think it's something that, I mean, in reading your book, I, I've highlighted that a number of times. And I've, it's, got, it's a little you know, note that I've made to myself to, to keep that in my thoughts, because I, like uh, I like that a lot. The, uh, you know, it, let's shift a little and talk about your middle school years. Your relationship with your father not fitting in and feeling a little lost. So, so certainly, you know, middle school, high school, uh, probably more towards the end of middle school and towards the, uh, the beginning, sort of the middle of uh, high school. So it's just coming, you know, it's a couple of stories. Just coming over here, I got out of ESL in, in less than a year. Somehow, always the top student. I almost won the spelling award in fourth grade. You know, the list of accomplishments is just ridiculous. And, and for a kid that just came over without barely any English, suddenly really... I wouldn't say mastering the language because I really haven't mastered the language now, but certainly doing very well back then. Um, you know, fit in was pretty popular too. Going to middle school where I was still pretty up there to going to high school. I went to Thomas Jefferson High School for science and tech. So certainly one of the, I think it was number one high school in the U.S. for, for a long period of time there. And I think it may still be up there. Um, so, but being from pretty much a, a very upper echelon, you know, popularity, achievement-wise, almost everything, to being normal or probably even less than normal um, at, towards the end of middle school and, and beginning of high school. It's really true. So one, of my, uh, one of my really good friends at the time grew, I think, 12 inches between the summer of, awesome. of, of, of uh, yeah, uh, middle school to, you know, eighth grade to ninth grade. Uh, that growth spurt did not happen to me, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> or I want to say that growth spurt never happened to me. Okay, I remember <laughs> four years. But, but certainly, um, achievement-wise, something like that, it started to wane. I started to really, uh, you know, just hormones, economic pressures, um, feeling of, of no longer being... Uh, even good enough, right? Those things sort of set in during that time period. Um, I think, you know, you know, recalling this with people, I think everyone has those moments in time when they feel like they're not, they're, they're in these dark places. Um, I think, unfortunately, that, that time for me was when that happened, was during that time. Um, but, you know, like I said, there's always a way. And we all persevere through. Well, it's, it's one of those things, like you said, uh, it, if, if there's some way you could implant a seed that would let the person at that stage understand that this will get better, because hearing it from your parent doesn't help. <laughs> no, no, yeah, yeah. And, Unfortunately, it doesn't. That's, what, that's actually, that, that, you, you bring up the exact point where I even wrote the book in the first place, is because I know how I was way back when. And one of the things that, that's benefited me through life and really cursed me through life is this memory. <laughs> I remember things way too, too much. I really do remember, unfortunately, way back when all the bad memories seems to be the only two things I remember uh, at some point in my life. Uh, and I, I know how I was. And I know uh, the rebellious side. The, you know, uh, and I, I want my kids to have something that they can relate to, even if they can't or won't <laughs> talk to me directly. <laughs> It's, I, I, well, yeah, as a, as a note, I have my, I, I told you earlier, my sons have grown and uh, it's funny because uh, there are things that, uh, you know, now I have to remind them, hello, 
I don't know if you remember me. I'm that same father that uh, we did, you know, we did all this stuff together and all that stuff. Remember that? Yes. I got the same phone number still. It's, <laughs> but, but then we get together, we have a blast. So, uh, you know, it's a, <laughs> it's a funny thing, but yeah, um, it's, it, it's cool because you are creating something that they'll be able to read and, and uh, whether they would listen to your words or not, they're there in the book. So that's cool. So. Uh, yeah. I, I, I tell, uh, I think I, I told someone else the same thing that, if nothing else, you know, I don't know how, how we're going to be when we, you know, when, when time comes, but hopefully they'll look at this book as this, just a friend, you know, something to, to, maybe there's a word of wisdom in there. Maybe you laugh once in a while. I don't know, but hopefully it's, it's something they can, uh, can pull out when they need. That's cool. It's cool. It's a, you know, I, I like to, I'm fond of saying that there's a time in my father's life that if I could go back in time, that's the time I'd go to. And I could see your children doing the same thing with as they read any part of the book going, eh, that'd be cool to go back in time to that part and just hang out and see what he's doing. <laughs> you know? Is this really what happened? You know? Exactly. That's why I don't like to go too much detail. <laughs> exactly. 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 Nice. I like that. All right. So I, I want to take you into this. You, you say as the, as the book's moving on, you, you get into a couple movies and uh, one of them is that it goes like this. It, it, Goodwill Hunting also gets me, in which Matt Damon's character has the me-against-the-world attitude. I have that in me, too. A guy without a country, without a heritage, and not really Vietnamese, but not really American. While I find comfort and can relate to both worlds, neither world encompasses who I am. What do you mean? So I think one, one of the difficulties with, um, with you know, I'm going to try to use it generalized, anyone who, who comes to the U.S. at an early age or, or gets situated into a different, another country at an early age, is that you're you're compelled to live two different worlds, or at least I, I was, right? There's there's obviously when I go home and talk to my parents, I'm expected to act a certain way, you know, I'm supposed to do a certain you know, behave a certain way and stuff like that. When I'm um, you know going to school at the time, I'm expected to be behave and act in a certain way. And certainly there's there's mutual connections between the two. Uh, but certainly there there are differences too. And uh, as I grow grew up, um, that you know, that same sort of dichotomy still stays, right? You know, there is, you know, I married a lovely Vietnamese woman, right? So certainly, she, her, the heritage she came over here when she was much older. She didn't, she didn't get here until she was nineteen. So certainly, she's very Vietnamese, <laughs> whereas I am uh, not quite, uh, uh, not quite as much, right? I, I certainly uh, hang out and and joke in a different way, right? talk a different way. <laughs> When, when hanging around with my drinking buddies, or, or I met my buddies. So, uh, and, and just even interacting with uh, her family, her friends, her social circle is different. And I think that's, that's, the, uh, that's always something I grapple with in that how do I really uh, you know, merge the two so I don't have these two different personas when I'm here over there. But I, I don't know if I ever can. It's just one of those things where, uh, I guess as the world becomes more gray <laughs> in the future, when when you know borderline and 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 uh, and, uh, and uh, you know there's going to be more intermingling or, or more communication, that line will get uh, uh, more homogenized. But certainly right now, there's still you know that dichotomy or that I, mean, I might be using that word correctly, but it may not be. But that that difference between two worlds. Yeah. No, oh, I understand what you're saying. The uh... It's good stuff and it's powerful because it really is because you can see where you have these different uh, thoughts and ideas and, and, uh, and I, 
just kind of going back to uh, something you said earlier in the book, which you, you talk a little bit about uh, uh, sometimes getting along a little bit more with the Western friends and, uh, or part of the culture. And, and it's, it's interesting listening. So uh, good stuff. It's uh, very powerful in that section when you get into that. Um, you, know, you have a focus on doing good in the world and it comes out loud and clear multiple times in your book. Uh, can you talk about that just a little bit? I love uh, I love to go with my Spider-Man. You know, we have a we have the talent, you have the responsibility, or something like that. <laughs> uh, but I think I think you know it, it would be a very um, very different world for me if uh, if I just went and thought, be very introspective and did everything for myself. Because at the end of the day, I think it's not you know you know, religion and all that stuff aside, right? I think, you know, I certainly want to make the world better. I don't want people to have to have, people to have struggled what I have done, right? It's, um, um, yeah, I, I, it, it's always this innate sort of uh, uh, feeling or responsibility to, to make the world better somehow. Because, um, Certainly in the story I told the, uh, certainly in the book, I told a story about uh, men, one of the girls, uh, where my sister and I and her were playing hide and seek over in that refugee camp. And, and obviously I don't talk, actually I think all my friends who are even listening to me right now are probably going, you never told that story. But they'll read it about it. Uh, but it, it's one of those things where it, it really made an impact on me. And the fact that, yeah, my sister or I could have been her. We were all, you know, you look at physics of the world, the probability, you know, stats and stuff like that, you know, yeah, we're just, you know, it could have been easily been me. I could have been that cola. I could have had that brain eating amoeba in me or parasite in me. Um, and what are the chances, right? And the chances is certainly, like I said, the book is one of three, but, but of all the bad decisions I've made, how am I still alive right, these days, right? right. Uh, and, uh, but you know, with with all that, I think there's a responsibility that all of us have that if we can, we should make, if not, you know, this grandiose story of making the entire world better with feeding the world. Certainly, there's that grandiose, that sort of impactful sort of message. But you know, your world can be as simple as making the, your next door neighbor happy, your siblings happy, your you know, you know, volunteering at the uh, community center down uh, you know, downtown, or doing something where we all strive to help the world in some ways, instead of always striving to figure out how the world can uh, can benefit us. Right? What is it, John F. Kennedy? Ask not what your country can do for you, but <laughs> ask what you can do for your country. Not to get into yeah. too, <laughs> too much of the uh, the uh, the uh, uh, cliches about this stuff. But yeah, I think. It, you know, if you have the wherewithal, um, certainly do something for you, the community, anyway. I love it. And it, uh, you know, it comes through loud and clear. And I, I think it's a great um, thought process that, uh, you know, you're, you're, like you said, you dedicate, the, the book is focused on your children. And uh, I think it's a great message for your children to be able to read and continue to hear those words. So, you know, it, um, Young, if someone wanted to connect further with you, where would you send them? Because I, I, I got to tell you, first of all, I had a hard time 
you know, narrowing down my <laughs> questions because I, I want, I could talk to you for a couple hours. This would be one of my longest podcasts ever. And, but it's, it, it's a, you know, Shifting Optics is a fascinating book. It's a great read. It hits home and hits in the heart. And, and uh, um, I'm sure there's people who'd like to ask you questions or at least maybe connect with you or, or, or find out a little bit more about other stuff going on or future projects. If someone wanted to connect further with you, where would you send them? And by the way, could you also share a little bit about your wife's program, speaking of doing good, called uh, PerspectiveCharity.org? Uh, sure. So, so first one, I'll, I'll probably send you my email address uh, later on. So you can just, actually, you have my email address. Just post that if people okay. can get a hold of me. Um, that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. Okay. Um, uh, as far as perspective charity, uh, so my, my wife and I obviously have had different uh, path to get where we're at today. And we're certainly blessed and thankful for, for uh, how the world's treated us, right? Uh, you know, there's, certainly there's, there's been times and, and, uh, that, that uh, you know, were a lot more difficult. But we are where we are today. And one of the things that, that I worry about are my kids. And that's why, you know, another reason we write this book about perspective is, you know, in a lot of ways, we are where we're at because of the hardships and because of the trials and tribulations we went through. You know, it toughened us a little bit, um, made us a little more resilient to the hardships of life. Um, and I worry whether my kids will have that same uh, opportunities, wrong word, because certainly I don't want to wish what I went through to my kids. But uh, certainly, um, they, they have a life that's uh, much different than how my wife and I grew up. And uh, one of the things that uh, we wanted to do was, um, what she wanted to do, and I, I help, I always say we, it's really what she <laughs> established, the charity that she, she created, was to allow kids that are in a little bit better situation, meaning the West, or uh, to help kids probably in more dire situations. And, uh, and, and the benefit for both sides is pretty, uh, you know, for to one side is pretty simple. Right? On one side, the third world country uh, student or children would get an education paid for, get a scholarship, um, get an education that they may otherwise have never had, may not otherwise have the opportunity to. So uh, on the other side, with the, the more affluent kids, they get to see and experience what the, the children in third world countries experience. And hopefully if they go on these relationships, actually not only see, but experience what these children go through on a daily basis. And the hope is that both sides get different perspectives on life. One side sees that they, however they, whatever they do or however they live their life, that there's another side of the world and they need to be able to help be able to make an impact. On the other side, they can see the opportunities in the world and hopefully they themselves can rise to that opportunity, do the best they can to make an impact. So both hopefully will, will you know, the, the charity's focus is really to make both sides more impact. You know, hopefully get the, uh, the first, first world uh, people to, to see uh, what it's like to be in a third world country and appreciate what they have to be able to use with their resources at hand to become better. And obviously the third world country have the opportunity to be better. Excellent. I love it. I love it. And the, um, and I'll have um, a 
the uh, website for her charity in the show notes as well. So good stuff. Well, Young, last two questions. And these questions are just questions I like to ask my guests. And it goes, first one goes like this. When things get difficult or there are too many issues all coming at once and you want to quit, how do you overcome those feelings and keep going? I think that's, uh, that's uh, a, a, a incredibly powerful question. And really the question that I really want to answer in that book. Uh, and I didn't want to say, you shall do step one, two, three to get through, because <laughs> uh, every situation should be different. Um, and all I hope to sort of relay is that there's always a way, right? There's, you know, certainly a person like me can get paralyzed by analyzing everything to the wrong. Like, you know, you listen to my friend, you're always talking about every possible way something can go wrong, right? From an engineer's before, I have to mitigate, mitigate, mitigate. Like everything is a mitigation problem. Like how do I mitigate this? How do I mitigate this? Nice. They get really tired of me going, no, you're such a pessimist. <laughs> Why do you always think about how many ways things go wrong? But I always tell them, it's better for me to be, you know, fix all the things that go wrong now than actually deliver a product to my customer and they find out something's wrong. That's, that's even worse. And that's why you always should mitigate risk. That's a much bigger story. But overcoming these feelings is going back to those external forces. Why are you doing something? What is it you're doing? What is it that you're doing that will help you, will help the world? And you always have this external sort of feeling, uh, external sort of force that propels you forward, then things become a lot clearer and makes more sense. You know, that motivation uh, is, is very important, right? The intent, the motivation to do something better. Because if you, you know, there's a lot of things about, hey, you do something to make a buck, you do something to make some money, you do something to, to uh, make feel good at, uh, at the time you're doing it, which is great, which is, I'm not saying that's bad. But there's also something about doing something that not only helps you, but helping the world around you become better. And to me, if you keep that sort of thing in focus, it'll get you through, it'll motivate you to do, do better, be better in almost any circumstances. And if it doesn't, you probably should think about doing something else. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Great advice. Great, great advice. Uh, last question. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? Oh, yeah. There, there's been a lot of uh, mentors in my life, you know, whether you're talking about professors or teachers to, you know, just engineering mentors throughout, throughout my career. Um, and I'm not just going to say this is part of my Eastern culture. You always respect elders and stuff like that. But in beyond that, I've just been very blessed with people who really helped me. So the first one is, um, this just goes back to elementary school. His name is Mr. Michael. Uh, and I, you know, this is why I'm a terrible person. I don't even remember his, his uh, first name. I don't remember his first name or his last name. But I always called him Mr. Michael. <laughs> um, I was part of his popcorn committee because I had accomplished so much. Like in, in um, fourth grade, I'd, I'd done so much that pretty much the latter half of the year, I was given like three hours off every day. I'd always go to the gym and play with Mr. Michael. <laughs> so and Mr. Michael, just, you know, he, he's just a genuinely good person. Like he would, during Thanksgiving, he would go out and try to raise money and give impoverished kids like me a turkey or a can of beans or a large can of corn, right? Just something to have to really celebrate Thanksgiving. This is just how Mr. Michael works. And I, you know, we make popcorn, not to, popcorn is sold popcorn for a dime and a quarter. 
and he takes all that money to either do the Thanksgiving thing or to buy more equipment so a kid, kid can, can, uh, can enjoy. He's just overall one of the most decent and nicest guy uh, you ever meet. Um, and there's certainly there's been some tragedy in his life way back when I knew him uh, that propelled him to do that. But yeah, that's his story and that's another time. Um, another person that really, really helped me was uh, a person named Dr. John Koshel. This was in college. Uh, and he only stayed one year at Rose, I see a year, and then he moved off to uh, really became a, uh, an adjunct professor at the University of Arizona. Yes, I think he's still an adjunct professor at the University of Arizona. <laughs> uh, but he's just, you know, uh, he, his, his life is a little bit inspirational. We, we became, you know, our ages, he's only a few years uh, older than me. So, you know, coming to a, a college teaching senior level courses, uh, we became pretty good friends. Um, and to this day, I think I've always uh, said to him, uh, I doubt it's true now, but so I sort of, I had a full ride at the University of Arizona uh, and I gave that up. And I think there's a little blurb in the story about why and all this stuff, all, all the, all the, the forks in the road you experienced and whether it was a good decision or bad, but that's, that's a different uh, story. But, you know, we, we had this pack way back when, I don't think it's still there, is that once he becomes a full professor, I would try to be his first uh, PhD student. And uh, neither of which has come true, so we're, we're still here. But, you know, all these guys really made an impact on my life. And certainly there's been engineering when I first got out of college, and there's been uh, uh, very wise engineers who beat a copy little uh, engineers down, <laughs> new engineer down like myself. Um, so there's it, still a lot of wisdom in me, which, uh, which, which really helped me in a, throughout my career. Nice. I, I thank you for telling us about uh, the, your mentors, teachers, and the professors and alike. And by the way, in the book, it is an interesting series of stories about some of those <laughs> those choices and the, the, the giving up certain things because it thought it was like a good idea at the time, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, like I said, I tried to say. I think one of my uh, one of my mentors asked me about the whole no regret thing. Like he came up there to me and said, "Really, no regrets." I'm going. That's not what I meant. <laughs> I mean, don't dwell on your regrets. You, know, you can't. You can't go back in time and change it. Right? That's funny. So, whatever decision you make, you make the best of the time you make it, and then learn from learn from the mistakes. Just don't dwell on it. You know, don't regret it such that you dwell on it. So much. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Young, thank you so much for talking with me today. Your story connects with the reader. You have funny stories that will make some lose their cookies like me and others that are sad or simply hit the heart and home. Uh, Listeners, Shifting Optics, A Life in Perspective needs to be added to your reading list. Uh, Young, keep on doing good for the world and wishing the best in all that you do. Thank you very much. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends.